you so much for joining us. We're all in our bedrooms, living rooms and lofts. And uh, today we're going to be discussing a project from the University of Dundee. Uh, now the title of today is Implementing New Technology, a Culture Catalyst for Your People. And really we want to try to understand how um, web platform overhaul uh, can drive culture change within an organisation. Uh, so we'll be discussing how to get buy-in from key people within an organisation, uh, how to manage technical aspects and how to create culture change through digital transformation. So I'll start off by introducing our panellists. Uh, we've got Andrew Miller, Daniel Coletta, Joe Winterburn and Hugh James. So Andrew, if I could come to you first, if you could just introduce uh, uh, yourself, um, what you do, what's your, your organisation, what's your relationship to the project and, and where are you speaking to us from today? Hi there, um, I'm Andrew Miller. I'm from the University of Dundee. So for those who don't know, Dundee is in kind of mid to north uh, Scotland, just about an hour north of Edinburgh. Um, I'm actually speaking to you from Fife, which is a wee bit further down on a farm. So um, I'm on rural broad broadband, so hopefully we should be okay with the duration of this. Uh, my relationship to this project, so I suppose I'm the project lead. Um, I'm leading the web transformation for the University of Dundee. Uh, and I've been here for about, well, I've been at the university for 15 years, but doing this job for about five years. So, so that's me. Thanks so much for joining us, Andrew. And um, Daniel uh, and Joe, if you wouldn't mind introducing your, yourselves one after the other. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Dan Coletta. Uh, I was the public sector sales manager over in the UK for Acquia. I've been at Acquia about seven years now. Uh, and so Acquia really quick, uh, we started as a web hosting company about 11 years ago, and we were founded by the creator of Drupal, and we did a web hosting. Now we've morphed into become a leader in the DXP space, digital experience platform, according to Forrester and Gartner, as we've added a bunch of capabilities. We range from cloud content management, digital asset management, analytics, personalization, customer data platform, marketing automation, the list goes on. Uh, essentially, we are a product provider to the market. And then we almost always work with great agencies like Manifesto and people like Hugh that do what they do with our technology for folks like Andrew. And Joe? Oh, yeah. Thanks, James. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Joe Winterburn. I've been with Acquia for two and a half years. I currently work in the UK public sector team um, alongside Dan Coletta. Um, so essentially, I just help organizations like Dundee um, in similar positions, trying to figure out what their goals are from a digital perspective and, and how companies like Acquia Manifesto um, can help solve those problems. And Hugh, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Thanks, James. Thanks, everyone. Hello, uh, my name is Hugh James. I'm business director at Manifesto. Um, I've been here for about five years. I've been fortunate enough to watch the agency grow from uh, a pure technology agency into a full service creative technology agency that we find ourselves in now. Uh, we're part of a bigger group of organizations called the Panoply, uh, having recently floated on the stock exchange this time last year. Um, we've been a partner with, um, with Acquia now for uh, just over six years. Um, so we've got a lot of experience working with their platform. About 18 months ago, we started working with the University of Dundee um, as their implementation partner, uh, providing support creative services and implementation development services uh, for their Drupal implementation. Um, so, uh, hey, everyone, looking forward to um, finding out a little bit more from Andrew uh, on, on this project. Well, fantastic. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. And um, I should also mention to all our viewers that there is going to be a time for some questions and answers at the end of the webinar. So if you do have any that 
into your mind throughout the, the course of the next half an hour, there is a box at the very bottom of the screen. You should be able to send them in and I'll be able to give them to our panellists um, at the end of our time. So uh, to start off with, um, the kind of first section of this is really just to kind of hear from Andrew primarily, but from all of the panellists, a bit more about the project in terms of um, what the project has achieved, what it was aiming to achieve, and the timescale for this project, and, and also a bit of an introduction to why this project was necessary. Um, what is changing in the HE marketplace at the moment, and why must technology be at the forefront of a university's response? So, Andrew, if I could maybe hand over to you, if you could maybe just give us a bit of a, an overview of, of, of some of those um, aspects and ideas. Yeah, so at the University of Dundee, we've been doing a web transformation uh, for about four or five years just now um, and we've been kind of doing a bit of a long run up to it. Uh, the university went through a restructure in 2014-2015 um, and prior to that the university was quite feral in terms of how it did web. Um, everybody did a bit of a free-for-all. Um, so what we did was we brought it and as we tried to understand where we wanted to take the web in the future, we realized that we really kind of needed to start again. So we did a, a period of kind of looking at what we had currently and where we wanted to go. Um, and we did a huge period of research with our users, with our stakeholders. Um, we essentially made a nuisance of ourselves going out and asking people what was wrong with the web and what, how they wanted it to be fixed. Um, we then had quite a bit of time uh, trying to get investment, trying to get senior management on board. Um, I think we'll talk more about that later on. Um, and then kind of the last 18 months has really been about actually implementing uh, the work we'd started about three, four years ago. Um, and obviously going through the procurement stages, uh, the kind of hurdles that are associated with that. And then working with Acquian Manifesto over the last 18 months to start, start delivering um, product start delivering content, start delivering new infrastructure to the wider business. Um, where do you want me to go now? Um, I was just going to ask, I suppose, next question was really, why was this important for Dundee to do now? What is so significant about what's going on in the moment in the marketplace that meant that this kind of enormous digital overhaul, because I mean, in your own words, you said we essentially needed to bin it and start again. Why was it necessary to do that? I think because we had been so feral, there was a, we were kind of scared to touch what was there because we didn't know how it all held together. We didn't know what some of the underlying infrastructure was. It had been built really without any kind of vision or any kind of strategy. So trying to pick out one or two bits to improve um, was challenging. And it really meant we were just kind of tinkering about the edges. With the changes in the higher education market moving, uh, with the kind of funding issues that we have, um, looking towards new markets, new channels of potential revenue, um, and also the kind of more global international look that we now have, international students represent, as I'm sure for most universities, quite a lucrative market. We're moving from what was um, a fairly local university, although we've been in existence for almost 100 years in one form or the other, moving from a very local Scottish uh, UK market to being a global market. Um, and we needed to think about it in those terms um, rather than thinking about it in the way we used to think about it um, and actually starting to come together as a university. So we were very, very fractured as an institution prior to that. 
and it's a classic story of how a website is just the representation of the internal structure sometimes. Mm. Universities are a whole load of work. What we needed as part of this project, we need to drive cultural change. Our problems largely weren't technological in their making. They were cultural and political. And driving that cultural change is what needed to underpin this project mm. um, if we were going to be successful in those international markets. So that was kind of largely what was driving us mm. uh, to do this. I mean, that your, your answer there kind of leads us perfectly onto the kind of second section, which is really looking at some of those key learnings that, that you and your team have, have taken from this project. Um, and, and we kind of we were discussing before and, and, and kind of broken them down into sort of four key key areas for discussion, which is going to inform what we talk about next. So um, the first one is looking at cultural change and how you engineer that within an organisation. Um, the second is technical considerations, which we will discuss in a few minutes. And um, then we're kind of looking at uh, legislative changes and how that's influenced the way universities are responding. Um, and then fourth resource, and you picked up there in terms of um, the, the, the resource and funding available for universities to do this. So maybe if we, we start off with, with kind of culture change, um, Andrew, what, what in terms of, of your experience um, with, with this kind of digital transformation, um, where do you start in terms of sitting down senior leaders? How do you frame that conversation with them? How do you achieve their buy-in? How do you get them to support your objectives and work with you? Because they're obviously a really important uh, piece of the jigsaw that you'll need. I think with, when you're sitting down with senior management and you're having these discussions, you need to present it in a way that they can understand. As with all of us, we all have our own objectives to accomplish. We all have our own things that we need to get done. And, and largely speaking, because the web is still, certainly in universities, it's, it's relative new technology to a lot of people and the potential that it actually has, and digital more widely, I suppose, is, is a bigger thing. You need to focus it on how are we going to help you achieve your objectives by going through this process here. I think there's a there's a cultural change that needs to happen because putting stuff up on the web with services like Wix and Squarespace and WordPress and, and whatever else is not difficult. Let's be honest with you, it's, it's not a difficult thing to do. But doing it properly and bearing in mind kind of UX principles and SEO principles and accessibility principles and all these other things before you even get onto the legislation side of things is hugely, hugely complex. So kind of sitting down with senior management and going look these are the problems that we're trying to solve um, and then getting them to understand that in their own little mindsets um, helps them to understand well if i give you money you can help me do this stuff um, and i can just leave you alone to do it you're going to get the, the kind of buy-in um, i think culturally we need to try and need to try and change the university as well just just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should do something and this is where we need to change the culture and get the, the internal web digital team seen as the experts so that we are the first point of contact for people who are wanting to try and do these things. So you, you were saying there about uh, getting the digital team to be seen as experts. Um, we were discussing before, but maybe you could um, kind of repeat for us now a little bit about how kind of the history of a lot of people that, that move into your, your area of work um, 
where their roles started, where they've ended up now, how, I mean, you've been doing your job now for 15 years, the landscape has changed a, a lot. Do you think attitudes within universities have kept up with actually the expectations and the responsibilities that are incumbent upon digital teams like yours? In terms of the history of a lot of people, once they come into higher education, it's a bit of a marmite industry. You either love it and you stay, as I have done for 15 years, or you drop out quite quickly because it's just a bizarre, strange, weird place to work. So a lot of the people that we have on the team have been there for a number of years. A lot of people started off in the web side of things as an add-on to their existing job. So it was always seen as, seen as a secondary thing. So when the team was coming together, there was very much a feeling of lack of confidence that they didn't really see themselves as important, let alone the business seeing them as important to the future and the success of the business, really. Mm. So again, a cultural piece is just about building confidence within your own team for them to act as the experts. And then once they see themselves as acting as the experts, it's easier for the business to then look at them as, as people who are acting, it's the kind of fake it until you make it type of thing. Um, that might be a good opportunity actually to, to bring in Dan and, and Hugh really. So maybe if I come to Hugh first and then, and then Dan second. Um, Hugh, what, what's your experience of, of working with the team at Dundee in terms of how uh, the private sector organisation can help support a digital team? I mean, Andrew was there, was talking about confidence, but also in terms of helping them put forward an agenda for change to senior leaders. Yeah. Um, so, so I was smiling when um, Andrew was, was talking about a little, little bit of a lack of confidence, because actually our experiences when we came in were very much of, wow, this is a bit of a breath of fresh air. So um, upon uh, a kind of starting our engagement with, uh, with Dundee, we discovered that they'd written quite a lengthy blog about their experiences working towards this and it seemed very much like you know a collective effort and a collective culture internally within that digital team for really wanting to progress that change. Um, the uh, the project consultant who who worked on the project I think is actually sitting in on uh, as one of the, the attendees on this uh, webinar Adam um, as well as one of our lead developers we're very closely with um, Andrew to try and identify opportunities for um, for getting the best out of that team um, one of the one of the processes or one of the approaches that they they described um, I'm going to give credit to a, a chap called Mauro Rigo. Um, who, who created a, a methodology which uh, we've, we've kind of described as the mixing desk approach. So it's about finding the balance between delivery, which is kind of that delivery of designs and code um, process. So it kind of explaining and getting that senior buy-in um, and education. So upskilling others so that they have the confidence to continue where we've uh, left off. Because as a, as a collaborative partner, um, and, and this also includes working very closely with Acquia, um, what we don't want to do is deliver something that when we then step away, we leave a team who are kind of a little bit bewildered and not being able to understand the things that they've gotten and how to kind of take it forward. So really what we tried to create was an approach that got the levels of this delivery process and education right. And so at the start of the project, it was very much around working closely with Andrew and, and team and Acquia um, to get as much delivery as possible, to get that confidence instilled in senior stakeholders in the rest of the organization and the rest of the institution so that people are genuinely bought into this change. And then gradually, as our engagement evolved, it's around perhaps Manifesto taking a bit more of a step back from delivery and allowing the internal teams that are there um, to take a bit more responsibility until finally, we're now at a point really where we're just providing a little bit of subject 
subject matter expertise and, and allowing Dundee to, to really go it on their own with knowing that, you know, we're still here as kind of the stabilizers, I suppose, but not necessarily um, used uh, to the same extent that we were previously. Hmm. And Dan, is there anything that you would add in terms of um, advice that you would give to a, a, a team like Andrews in terms of undertaking a large project like this? What can they expect from uh, a commercial partner? What could they ask of them and what would be useful for them to ask of a commercial partner to, to help them achieve kind of a culture change and get people who might not be thinking in the same way as they do about the, the, the sort of projects that they need to undertake, the digital transformation that they're trying to achieve? Yeah, it's a great question. And I was really pleasantly surprised when we first started talking to Andrew, they had gone through a rebrand project. And, and what usually happens in higher ed is you build all these different websites and they look and feel different because the brand is different. So law school, business school. And what we've seen is a shift towards user centric design of what are the people visiting these websites want to see. Andrew and his team already had that mindset. So where Acquia helped was come in and explain where we've done that with other universities, how that is a big trend in the industry. And it really empowered Andrew and his team to move forward with the strategy they already had, which was to challenge the business owners and the heads of departments on their requirements in terms of what, why are you trying to do this? Why, why, why? And boil it down to what is the goal of each section of the website, not how do we want it to look and feel. And so just our global stories and global customer base in EDU doing similar things to what Andrew had in mind, I think just helped cement his strategy is yes this is the right strategy for this project and i think just to add to that dan I, I would i would absolutely stress that this was one collaborative team so one of the things that we've not mentioned yet is that manifesto are based in um in london and obviously dundee are, are based in dundee and, and aqua are based all over the globe so there are some quite significant logistical challenges there and i won't take andrew's um thunder on this because i'm sure he'll he'll provide a bit more context but it really was about identifying an approach where we're getting the best out of everyone who is a part of that collaborative team yeah if i can pitch it at that point what we didn't want to do was parachute a company in that did a whole transformation that then disappeared and we were left you know as as we said kind of wondering what to do so what we really wanted to do was collab have collaborative partners that we could utilize their individual skills and expertise to get the project bootstrapped into a, a position where we could then take it forward so as she says there was that mixing desk approach where huge amount of stuff done by manifesto um, initially um, a lot of the decisions being made by the dundee team but working kind of hand in glove with each other um, we work as closely with acquired manifesto as we do with some of our colleagues who are down the other end of the corridor um, it was that kind of close relationship um, and i have to say and i see adam's on sitting as an attendee adam was fantastic do not underestimate the power of a good project manager um, and someone who will constantly be at you and go, go why and why and why. Mm. And whilst we, as, as Dan said, we had that kind of mindset of what was the user need um, and why are we doing this? Is it really required? Um, we had that already, but we're still very blinkered because we're inside the, uh, the industry as it were. Having that external person to come in with a, a, a fresh pair of eyes and kind of critique our work, hugely, hugely beneficial. In terms of then, because obviously sort of dealing with senior leaders is one thing, but then when you've got to look at an, an entire organisation and obviously within the university, you've got staff members who potentially want very different things. And how do you go about identifying what can change, what can be improved, what needs to stay constant and how to support those people so that 
through the digital transformation, you do engender an actual culture change. So at the other end of it, people are using things differently and working differently. You need to try uh, as, as far as possible, make friends within you know, your, your organization. Um, there are going to be lots of battles. There are going to be lots of problems. The more friends you can make early on, the easier it's going to be. By making those friends, you then have that constant channel of communication so that you're understanding what the problems are that they're trying to solve. And you can then start to input on these things. Mm. We also had quite um, heavy buy-in from my kind of line management, who completely got what we're trying to do, who completely got uh, where we're trying to go, and they could then fight our battles at a more senior level. And that kind of cleared me to get on with the day-to-day -day running and vision setting of the project. Um, you then need to try and over communicate with people and try and make sure that everybody knows what's going on. And you will always fail at that for some reason or the other. Somebody will not get the message, somebody will not get the presentation, somebody will not get the email. But you need to try and over communicate these things. Um, and then it's a case of um, continuing to communicate, but also communicating to the right people at the right time. So not all our stakeholders are actually stakeholders. They might have an opinion on it, but they're not necessarily a stakeholder. Generally speaking, students, prospective students, they're the target market. And having that conversation with people sometimes is a bit difficult to say, um, you as a 40, 50 year old are not in the same demographic as what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, but as you make friends, those are easier conversations to have. And, well, I mean, there's so many interesting things to, to talk about a little a bit more there, I suppose, but I think we should probably sort of move on a little bit and, and start thinking about some of the technical considerations. So, um, Andrew, if we could stay with you, could you maybe talk about technical changes that have happened uh, at Dundee through this project and how they've helped to future proof the organisation? Um, you talked about the fact that um, it's a more international marketplace now. You talked about the fact that Dundee needs to be more globally facing. And you talked about the fact that students need to have um, a more personalised um, uh, system at their fingertips. So maybe you could talk a little bit about those three things and how this project and, and the technical changes that have happened have helped to achieve those things. Yeah, we were very conscious at that point that all of our technology sat on campus. And whilst we have very good connections out to the wider Janet network, very reliable, um, it is kind of Dundee based and certainly when we're trying to portray ourselves um, in the best possible manner out in key target markets like China, um, Asia and more generally and kind of wider into the US, um, we needed that kind of global infrastructure rather than just a, a server sitting on Dundee infrastructure. The university was always already quite far looking in this and had a kind of general program of work of putting stuff out to the cloud to reduce our reliance on campus. Um, definitely the right strategy, given where we are in the current situation, um, we can work remotely from anywhere. Um, for Dundee, um, being able to put stuff out into the cloud to reduce reliance was hugely beneficial. Our IT department are fantastic. We have really good relationships with them, but at the end of the day, we're still fighting for resource with all the other fires that they're trying to fight just now. So being able to offload that onto another company to deal with all that side of things is just wonderful. Um, and, and Hugh, maybe you could expand a little bit more on terms of um, some of those key, uh, in terms of storage, perhaps in terms of cybersecurity, some of the key features um, of the digital transformation at Dundee. 
So I'd actually deflect that to Acre because yeah. the reason that we work with um, Acre is so that as an agency, as an implementation partner, these are things that we don't necessarily need to worry about. So Dan, I don't know whether you want to take that one off. Yeah. So traditionally, Acre provides platform as a service, which means infrastructure is managed. But then also with the Drupal application where you have Drupal core and all your contrib modules, we take care of all of that for you. So we like to say we keep the lights on and allow you to focus on innovation and putting hands into the features into the hands of business users. Uh, we also have PCI compliance, PII, ISO, SOC 1, SOC 2. We are GDPR compliant. So from a security and compliance standpoint, we've never been ruled out of consideration as a vendor. That's one of our core strengths. Uh, and everything we do is highly available with a very high uptime SLA that covers the entire globe. So to outsource infrastructure and application management to Acquia is really the core of our business for the last 11 years. And then I would say, so, so the, that is the reason that we work with Acquia whenever we're um, implementing on Drupal and, and, and hosting our Drupal um, websites. Um, from a, a customization perspective, that's where Manifesto would come in. So um, certainly with, with Andrew, our um, principal Drupal consultant um, and project consultants, were um, very much a core part of that team to deliver a Drupal implementation that was customized around the needs of the users internally. So it's not about getting something out of the box and you know just assuming that it works. It's really about making sure that that delivers value to an editorial team and also to the audiences who are, who are trying to interact with your digital ecosystem. Um, and so there are a number of things that we explored there with, with Andrew and I think, um, I don't know, Andrew, whether you want to go into any detail on, on those or whether you prefer to kind of keep it at a little bit more of a higher level. Um, just in terms of personalization and and the way that you you've got a design system and, and pattern library there. Yeah, I mean we, we put a lot of those core things in stuff that we'd already been thinking about and wanted to do, and we were aware of the technology beforehand to do these things. But we utilised Manifesto and Acquia to kind of bootstrap us into a, a much faster position of being able to roll these things out. Um, we have a fantastic dev team who. Uh, quite sure can pick up any language in any system and run with it without any problem. But um, what we wanted to do was have that expertise to kind of um, help that dev team upskill very quickly so they could then move on. I think with Drupal, fantastic systems, probably a hundred different ways to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, and you know, having that expertise, both in the Acquia side and the Manifesto side, um, helped us move far, far quicker than we could have done just working by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We were speaking before, Andrew, and one of the things you kind of highlighted was that the changes, um, and this is kind of moving, I suppose, on to the looking at the legislation and things, in terms of changes to GDPR, you were saying that that actually kind of helped you in a way to encourage the organisation to move forward and do something different. Do you mind sort of talking a little bit about how kind of those sort of high-level changes have enabled you to galvanise support for what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, it's quite interesting that a lot of the legislation that has come out is stuff that we as a web community and we as an IT community have been saying for years. And largely it's been ignored by some people because it's seen as too complicated or too difficult to do. Um, these bits of legislation come in, GDPR, accessibility, the kind of CMA compliance, you know, any other kind of three letter acronyms you want to throw at it. Um, can be um, seen as a crisis, can seen, be seen as a problem, but they should be seen as a force for change. So it becomes much easier to go to senior management and go, I know you have a, an obligation to comply with this legislation, 
here's how I can help you reach that objective by doing X, Y, and Z. Um, so you can utilize these things. Um, you don't need to use it as a stick as, as much as a carrot, um, but it helps people have a bit of a sense of calm about it to know that it's all being dealt with in the background. Again, just going back to what Dan was saying, the fact that they have all the different certifications and security protocols and whatever else, we just kind of pass that over. We have our data processing agreements. It's then up to Acquia to, to fulfill these things. Um, and it's just removed that risk a wee bit from the university, whereas we would have been wholly responsible for it in the past. Mm. And I mean, I should just sort of mention to all our viewers that we, as I say, we do have a Q&A function. So if there's any uh, of those kind of technical things that you'd like to go into more, or there's more detail you'd like to know about um, some of the technical changes that have happened at Dundee, do um, pop those in and we'll get to them at the end. Um, but we should move through because time is racing away from us as always. Um, and kind of look at some of those resource um, issues that we were kind of highlighting at the very beginning. So um, in terms of one thing that you were talking about, um, I think is, is in terms of the scale of the project and, and it is an enormous one, but in terms of um, how you break such an enormous transformation down into small achievable parts, um, what um, kind of hidden jobs suddenly emerged from the woodwork once you started this that suddenly added on to the time it took to complete the project and what impact did that have on the resources that were required to achieve what you wanted it to do? Yeah, I mean, Dundee was, was was really quite fortunate because of that restructure. We were able to pull on a lot, a lot of people. We have a team of fifteen at Dundee um, across design, development, UX, support, um, content. Um, we have a, a large um, swathe of people that we can call upon. I think one of the, the areas that we hadn't quite banked on was the quality assurance side of things. So progressing work through an established workflow to then make sure that it's, it's as good as it could possibly be at the end. Uh, we hadn't really seen that um, side of things. Um, we kind of did it wee bits and pieces, but not as a, as a kind of formal thing. Um, the value of a project manager. Um, I had classically been the project manager and kind of dealt with these things. Um, Adam was a, a was just a, a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, and you'll be getting a big head with me saying these things, but. Um, in terms of properly managing a project and delivering and transferring those skills. And this whole relationship has been about transferring skills from Acquia Manifesto into the team so that we can then progress through that. That was hugely beneficial as well. Um, and then starting to progress the team through um, different roles and different changes. Um, just looking at how the technology is working and starting to refocus people on different things. Um, yeah. Hugh, Dan, in terms of, because um, I think one of the things that having a kind of a, a private sector partner can help a university is, is in terms of remaining compliant with legislation um, and in terms of, you were discussing earlier, Hugh, kind of dialing up the level of support that's needed and dialing that back down again. So maybe both of you could discuss a little bit about how a private sector partner can help a university in terms of being quick to respond to legislative changes, quick to respond to trend changes, and also quick to be able to respond to the resource requirements of a project. Dan, maybe we could come to you first. Yeah, I'll start and then we'll go over Hugh. So the, the good thing about an organization like Acquia is we are global. We have uh, 5,000 plus customers and that ranges from you know, military websites in the US, federal government, 
to a lot of government site here, the entire government in Australia, uh, the accessibility guidelines that just came down last year in the UK. So we see all of these things globally and it's imperative to our business to remain compliant, to remain secure. So folks locally in each market that do business with Acquia, when the accessibility guidelines come down, Drupal is one of the most accessible platforms in the world. Acquia makes sure we keep it that way and make sure the underlying infrastructure follows suit. Uh, when GDPR came out, as soon as everyone needed to be GDPR compliant, not only did all of our existing customers in the UK, but every customer moving forward in broader EMEA was able to take advantage of the GDPR compliance we have built into our platform. So if you combine that with if you need to be SOC 1 and SOC 2 and ISO and PCI, Throughout the year, you need to pay for audits. So you need to allocate resources and funds to have people come on and do an audit of your infrastructure to make sure you are compliant. If you have Acquia, we do all of that. We pay for those people and we make those reports available to you. So to Andrew's point of limited resources, compliance and security always changes. Being able to rely on Acquia for the underlying infrastructure and platform level compliance and security just again, allows Andrew to focus his team on strategy and execution and, and not day-to-day -day maintenance. Yeah, and so before I, I kind of cover off Manifesto in, in particular, I will just uh, highlight or identify um, perhaps somewhere where that's really, really helped us um, because um, uh, Drupal is, is an open source content management system. Um, you know, and I think it is accessible by all people, you know, can contribute to it in any way that they, they, they wish. Um, but also in some cases that does carry some potential, um, I wouldn't say risks, but, um, but people do have this stigma that, that perhaps it's a little bit less secure. And one of the reasons that we work with Acquia is that they have a dedicated security team out in Boston um, that um, will be working 24 seven, trying to, trying to keep an eye out for um, any potential problems with the Drupal core. Um, and so there was an, a scenario a couple of years ago where um, all of the platforms uh, that we were managing um, were patched overnight uh, because there was quite a major security flaw found and, and you know, we didn't even need to worry or take care of that at all. So um, that's just a, like an additional piece of governance security, you know, that one thing that you don't really want to have to worry about. In terms of manifesto and, and having an ability to support um, organizations with upcoming trends, um, we only work with organizations who, who, who do good in the world. So um, higher education naturally falls very heavily in that sector. We do also do a lot of work with government, um, healthcare, and uh, an area that we're perhaps best known for is charity. I think there are a lot of similarities with charity um, and with higher education. And we did um, a white paper um, earlier on, well, actually late last year in the end that it was launched, um, that just focused on some of kind of the four key trends that are, are facing not-for-profits. Um, and I think a lot of these are applicable. And, and it, funnily enough, Andrew and I were chatting about this um, yesterday. Um, and uh, and uh, to steal his thunder a little bit, he did mention that these are things that were being thought about at the start of the project, but perhaps um, were things that, that uh, maybe a little bit too big to take back to a stakeholder team and, and maybe I'll let him explore that in a bit more detail shortly. But the first trend that we, we, we kind of always talk about um, is, is around channels. And I think that goes without saying. So new channels are, are growing at pace. When I say channels, I mean smart speakers. I mean Alexa, tablets, smartphones, pretty much anywhere is now a digital interaction. And so it's about how do you create a platform that is able to consume content um, for each of those different channels. 
The second one um, is one that's very prevalent, especially when we start looking at things like personalization, um, is around digital anxiety. So um, incidents like the Cambridge Analytica incident um, have increased people's awareness of, of their data and how that data is being used immeasurably. Um, and so this is now something that we need to consider quite strongly about that transparency um, and ensuring that our users are very much aware of that. Um, the third key trend um, is around demographics um, and how different demographics de de um, define different um, content consumption preferences. So um, I think when, when we first started communicating and talking with um, Andrew, I, I, I said that one of the most interesting things to me about the higher education sector is that it's one of the few industries where um, you will have a touch point with someone almost the entire way through their life. So all the way from where they're selecting um, uh, at their university to where they might be at the university to when they then become alumni to when perhaps they're a, a supporter um, and they're on their forward. Um, and so really it's um, <coughs> it's about making sure that you as an organization, as an institution, can evolve as your demographics evolve. And then the fourth one, which um, perhaps I hope doesn't take so much of a backseat, but I fear might take a little bit more of a backseat now that um, there's a, a certain virus um, around and about, is the climate emergency and how we really need to be encouraging ethical and digital consumerism. So um, making sure that we're optimizing um, for uh, hosting efficiency, energy resources, making sure that the code quality is at the best, making sure that we're getting people into those journeys as quickly as possible uh, to limit dwell, dwell times um, and so um, yeah I think those are those are kind of the four key trends that we're seeing in and around this space and, and being very much as a private sector organization um, who you know is at the, at the coalface of a lot of these issues we can bring that sort of expertise and, and background. Um, uh, one of the things we were sort of hoping to talk about a little bit, I suppose, was, was kind of the debate between open source and proprietary software. Perhaps, Andrew, I could come to you first in terms of what your thoughts were around, around that and, and the project at Dundee. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a developer, a web developer at heart. Um, that's kind of where I learned my trade and did a lot of stuff with open source. Um, so I was already kind of inclined to that. The university as a whole um, would have been slightly more towards the risk averse side of things um, because it would be seen as this unsupported thing you know perhaps security considerations um, was, was mentioned earlier once you start to um, understand that, um, that there are organizations around about who can support you around about this and then start to look at the positives around about open source in terms of being able to develop rapidly in terms of being able to get into the guts of a system and change it should you so need to, um, becomes hugely positive. We have, uh, one of the things we've done as part of this project is integrate our um, kind of course management system with the website so that we're using kind of uh, single source of the truth data. Um, that would have been much more difficult with the proprietary system trying to do those integrations. With Drupal, it became, uh, Drupal and open source in general, it became a lot easier. So we were able to move more rapidly down that uh, stream, I think, than we would have done with a proprietary system. I think with proprietary systems, um, they can have their benefits. I think certainly with smaller teams, perhaps where there's less ability to, uh, to develop and to change, um, there are definite benefits around those side of things. Um, and when we went out and we went through the procurement exercise, we were totally open in that we don't mind which system gets pitched or which system gets chosen or you know which system comes in to do a demo 
Um, we need the system to fit our vision of how the web should be. Um, and we did an open and transparent tender process, which um, Aquid Manifesto were in with, uh, with a lot of other competitors. And the, what was interesting with that procurement exercise was open source kind of blew everybody else out of the water when it came to the community aspects of it. So been able to have lots of people looking at stuff, lots of people been able to um, swap ideas and to do different things. Generally speaking, I don't think there's been much so far where we've tried to do something and there hasn't been a module um, that can potentially do it already. So hugely beneficial from us because it takes away a lot of that problem solving that's done already. Um, well, I, I think probably that's a, a good moment to, to move across to thinking about some of the things that um, have been learned from the project at Dundee in terms of what perhaps could have been done differently, what things you would um, start differently if you were to go back and, and have your time again, and what advice perhaps you might have to someone who's in a similar position to you who might be um, looking to, to lead a digital transformation at their university. What uh, tips do you think, what bits of advice perhaps would you pass on to somebody? I think that there needs to be a recognition that it's going to take a lot longer than what you think. Um, just to get to the stage of having the system and being able to develop it on it, um, there's procurement stuff that needs to go through, legal, finance, um, data protection, just a huge amount of stuff um, that just sucks up a whole bank of your time. Um, and you need to build that in. There are other things you can be doing. We did a whole pile of user research and, and audience research during those times. So it was all happening in parallel so that by the time we got to the stage of having the system, we were kind of hitting the ground running. Um, I think just the, the pace of development as well, the potential pace of development um, is quite amazing sometimes. Um, in the past, when you... Again, this is where manifesto were very useful in kind of embedding new workflows into the team and allowing us to progress stuff through very quickly. Um, there then became a need to plan much further in advance so that by the time it came to the development being ready, everything was up there ready to go. There was no questions needing to be asked. They could just crack on. It's that pipeline of work that is the kind of interesting bit. I think the business as usual will always come in and just kind of crash a project. I mean, mm. this coronavirus thing is a kind of classic example of that where the business has just gone, oh, we need to pivot to this direction very quickly. Um, and we've largely been able to do that with, with, you know, with the way we work. We've moved to remote working without really much of a problem. Our day-to-day, -day, what we're doing with that work has changed slightly, but whether we're in the office or whether we're at home, we just we can use the system. It's not dependent on Dundee. It's a globally available system. We just crack on, and uh, it's just business as usual for us. Mm. And and perhaps if we come to to Dan and Hugh as well, in terms of working with Dundee, what um, things have you come away having learned about the universities, this sort of project, and what advice perhaps would you give to um, clients in the future who want to kind of emulate that sort of success? Uh, what sort of things perhaps might they not expect to come uh, up against, but need to be prepared for? And Dan, perhaps we could start with you. Yeah, happy to start. So to Andrew's point, with Drupal, you can do pretty much anything. So there's there's a running joke in Aquia sales that whenever we get an RFP, I just want to respond with the word yes, right? Because Drupal can do it. Now, just because it can doesn't mean it should. And that's where we come in. 
but there's two real sayings that I use when I work with people. One is strategy before structure, because just because you can do it with Drupal, to Andrew's point, there's a lot that you can do, but you need to know what you're doing and more importantly, why you're doing it. What is the outcome you're trying to drive? If you don't have your strategy figured out, it doesn't matter what tech provides you with a, from a capability standpoint, you will end up doing things wrong. So strategy is extremely important, should always come first. The other is people, process, and technology. You need to understand as an organization, these three buckets are all gonna change. Whenever you move to new tech, there's gonna be a process of change management. So you have to look into these buckets of, do I have the right people? Do I have to hire? Do I have to train? Do I have to reskill? From a technology standpoint, where are the gaps in my current system and which ones are most valuable to replace over time? Acquia and Drupal are very modular, so you don't need to buy everything at once and replace everything you do at once from a technology standpoint. If you think the beginning of all the platforms I listed, they can all be bought individually. So you can start small and grow over time as your tech needs evolve. And then process comes to things like workflow, teams, groups, permissions, roles that you have within the organization, how do you get new features live on the back end from a development and code workflow? And how do you get new content and experiences live on the front end with your content and marketing and comms teams? And those are very different processes that have to be put in place whenever you move to a new tech. So again, strategy before structure and people process technology, you should spend time figuring out these five words and how they apply to your specific project. That's really useful. Hugh, is there anything that you would add to, to what Dan has said there? So I, I think, firstly, in the interest of time, I won't ramble on. I think Andrew and Dan have covered it uh, impeccably. In fact, I would just labor Dan's point, sorry, Andrew's point perhaps a little bit around that culture of, um, of uh, iteration and flexibility. And I think um, one of the things that we always talk about is it's, it's okay to fail as long as we learn from it and, and we iterate. And I think that was something that, that took maybe a little bit of time to embed that sort of a culture, but um, definitely I think we're all stronger for it now um, that that's something that we're able to, to work towards. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for, for all of that. I mean, we have not got any questions to answer, but I have got a couple. So I thought I might uh, just in the, the last few minutes of, of our time together, just ask a couple more questions just to kind of add on some of what we were talking about. At the very beginning, Andrew, you, you talked about um, some of the battles. And I think we, we kind of looped back to that actually right at the very end there talking about um, how you can help prepare um, people within your organization for the change. What sort of battles or what sort of challenges did you have to come up against in terms of working pe with people in your organization? Um, and what advice might you give to somebody in terms of how they can um, bring people with them and how they can help assuage their fears? I think there's still a, a, an ignorance around web um, at certain levels and you need to kind of work with that understanding. One of the things we did was we tried to focus people on um, or help them to understand, paint a picture of what this, the problem actually was. So one of the things we said very early on, we have half a million content items being indexed by Google. Um, if I put one person on that just to look at every single content item for 10 minutes um, to check whether it's right and correct, it's going to take 53 years. Um, and it actually was you know, bad enough to kind of sit down and actually calculate that out in terms of working hours and whatever else. 
So that then kind of frames that in a way that they can understand the level of the problem and almost the kind of level of resource that's, that's required for it. Um, then coming with very clear, very well scoped objectives and things you want to accomplish. So it's great to have a big, meaty, chunky vision of where you want to take web. And we can get onto smart speakers, and we can get onto AI, and we can get onto you know, um, virtual reality and all that kind of stuff. But you need to start small. Um, universities that have a lot of cash have very little impetus to change. So that's a, that's a whole different one. Dundee that didn't have an awful lot of cash and that was facing you know, financial issues like most universities are, needs to be very specific about where it's investing. So there's no point going and saying, right, I need 10 million over five years to implement everything that's, that I want to do here. You start by saying, well, first of all, we need the foundations. We need to build them first, and then we can get to wherever we want to go to in the future. We don't need, I kept on saying, we don't need another CMS. We need a content management system that can flex and can change and can move to whatever's going to hit us in the future. The reality is that as we start this project three, four years ago, by the time we end this project in about a year or two's time, once we get everything migrated, the landscape of web has changed dramatically. Um, the legislation has changed dramatically. The technology, the ability of devices, the broadband speeds, it's all different. So we need something that's going to be able to change and flex and a system that can deliver that at scale. So we can start off small and we can do these things as tests, but when we need to scale them up, we need to have confidence that we have the, the system and the infrastructure in place to be able to do that. Um, well, thank you. I think that it's, it's been really interesting for me, certainly, to listen to all three of you and to, to hear more about what's happened at Dundee. I have, however, noticed the time. Um, so I'm going to have to let all three of you go because I know we've all got very, um, we've got lots of working from home to get on with. Um, but thank you so much. So, Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Um, Hugh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, and, and Dan as well. Thank you. We really appreciate you for, for joining us. If you have got any questions that you, uh, fancy asking and I'm sure there are loads of lots more that I would happily ask um, do send them in to us because we can pass them on to the relative uh, the relevant panelists and, and, and send you back an answer um, but thanks so much for joining us and, and we hope for it to, to see you again soon take care thanks everyone cheers thank you cheers. Cheers.